welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannon. Today, we mark and commemorate the visitation of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth. The passage that we just heard from the Gospel of St. Luke describes this event, this story. And in this story, in this passage, there are so many things to think about and dwell on. Growing up, I would have read through this and moved on to the next chapter and then the next chapter and uh, would never have realized or, or uncovered the depth of the mysteries hidden in this message were it not for the writings and the wisdom of those wise Christians throughout the centuries who've gone before us to make note of it. Specifically, this starts with St. Luke himself who wrote the gospel. When he was writing this story, he was describing an actual event, but he wasn't describing it merely as a historian would write down and record details of an event just so that people in the future would know what happened. In writing this story, St. Luke weaves together a narrative that calls to mind for any faithful Jews who would have been reading or hearing it stories from the scriptures that they already knew. Now, this feast in the, the Western church traditionally comes on July 2nd, which is one day after the octave of the nativity of St. John the Baptist. So in a, a lot of the office materials, the, the readings and the lessons from Matins and the other monastic offices, the focus of this event is on St. John, the infant in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. I want to read briefly some words from St. John Chrysostom about this event. When our Redeemer came to us, he went straight to his friend John, who was still in his mother's womb. And when John, from womb to womb, beheld him, shaking the barriers of nature, he cried out, I see the Lord who founded the barriers of nature, and I am not waiting for the time of birth. The space of nine months is not necessary, for he who is eternal is in me. I shall go forth from this dark dwelling place. I shall proclaim my pent-up knowledge of wonderful things. I am a sign. Let me point to the coming of Christ. I am a trumpet. Let me proclaim the dispensation of the Son of God in flesh. Let me sound the trumpet. By it, let me bless my Father's tongue that it may speak. He's referring to his father that we read in the passage just before this, Zechariah, who is unable to speak since Gabriel appeared to him in the temple. Let me sound the trumpet that I may quicken my mother's womb. Behold, beloved, what a new and wondrous mystery is here. He is not yet born, and he speaks by his leaps. He has not yet appeared, and he gives a warning. It is not yet given him to cry, and he is heard by his action. He has not yet seen the light, and he reveals the sun. He is not yet born, and he hastens to be the forerunner. In the presence of the Lord, he cannot bear to be kept back. He cannot endure 
the restraint of natural barriers, but he strives to break out from the prison of the womb and is eager to herald the coming of the Savior. He who loosens bonds, he cries, is coming, and why do I stay bound and held fast so that I have to remain here? The word comes that he may order all things, and am I to remain still held? I shall go forth, I shall run before him and proclaim to all, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But tell us, O John, how you perceived and heard when you were still shut up in the dark womb of your mother, how you beheld things divine, how you leaped and rejoiced. It is a great mystery, he said, that is here accomplished, and it is far removed from human understanding. It is fitting that I should do all things new to nature because of him who will do new things that are above nature. I see, although I am yet within the womb, because I see the Son of Righteousness being carried in a womb. I hear with my ears because I am born as the voice of the great word. I cry out because I contemplate the only begotten Son of the Father clothed in flesh. I exult because I see the creator of the universe take the form of of a man. I leap because I think of the Redeemer of the world become incarnate. I run before his coming, and by my confession, as it were, I go before him to you. I think those words are beautiful and describe a true mystery from the perspective of the infant John. But there is another aspect to this uh, commemoration, to this story, besides St. John, uh, that I want to focus on now, and that is Mary herself, as this is called the, uh, the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. In a sense, Mary is the real uh, central figure in this account, in this story. St. John, with his spiritual eyes, um, reveals the mystery of the character of St. John Hidden. But I want to look at the, the star of the story, which is Mary. And I want to look at her through a specific lens. And that lens is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the Old Testament Ark that held the tablets of the law on stone and the manna in a golden urn, and the rod of Aaron that budded miraculously. This ark was where the presence of God dwelt with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. When the ark was commissioned to be built by God, he described in great detail how it was supposed to be built. He described its dimensions, he described its decoration, and most importantly, he instructed that it be gilt on the outside and the inside in pure gold, uh, the finest material available. And once this ark was built and the contents were put in it, the law, the manna, and the, bud of, the budding uh, staff of Aaron, it was put in the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness, and the divine presence of God, the Shekinah glory, descended upon the ark and overshadowed it. This language of the presence of God overshadowing something happens again. A few hundred years later, in the Gospel of Luke, we read that the Virgin Mary, when she is also visited by Gabriel, the same angel who visited Zechariah, 
he declares to her that God is going to use her and that she will conceive a son and this son of hers will also be the son of God. When she asks, not in doubt like Zechariah, but in awe and wonder, how this could be since she's a virgin. The angel says, the spirit of God will overshadow you, will cover you. The language that Gabriel uses to describe the spirit of God overshadowing Mary is the same language the Old Testament uses to describe the spirit of God overshadowing and filling the Ark of the Covenant. So here in Luke, we have the first indication that Mary is being linked thematically with the ark of God. But it doesn't end there. The parallels between Mary and the ark are even stronger in the story that we have today, the visitation. I want to just point out some of the details uh, relating to Mary's visitation to Elizabeth and a specific story regarding the ark of God. This will come from the book of 2 Samuel in the 6th chapter. It's a story about how the ark of God, which when it was first brought into the land, stayed, um, stayed in a, a certain city in Shiloh for a couple hundred years. The Israelites were doing battle with the Philistines one year, and they were losing. And they decided that, hey, if we had the presence of God with us here at the front lines, we'll probably turn this thing around and win. And so instead of reverencing the ark in the presence of God like they should have done, they decided to use it like a magic talisman. And they run and grab it real fast and bring it to the front lines. And they still lost. And in fact, they lost so badly they were completely routed. And the Philistines took the ark with them back to their home place and effectively stole it. Well, this didn't work out so well for the Philistines. Of course, the, uh, the ark couldn't be contained by them either. They put it in a temple of one of their gods, uh, and the statue representing this god kept falling over, and bits of them are, are falling off, and earthquakes, and people are getting boils and stuff, and, and they finally decide, you know what? It's probably this ark. We should get rid of it. So they put it on a cart and some, and some uh, bulls or, or cows or something and send it off into the wilderness toward, uh, toward back toward Israel. Well, eventually, um, the ark is recovered, and David, when he comes on the scene, decides he's going to bring the ark back to where it should be, to the city of God, to Jerusalem, to the tent, the tabernacle, which is now in the city. When he goes to get the ark, this is the, the uh, tragic story of Port Uzzah, they go to get the ark, and uh, Uzzah is one of the men who's sort of around this, this procession that they're about to take the ark to Jerusalem. And the oxen who are pulling the ark stumble, and apparently it looks like it's tilting a little bit. Well, Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady it, and God's anchor burns against him, and he falls down dead immediately. Well, this just, you know really bothered David, who was in awe at the power of God. He was fearful, and he says something really interesting as soon as this takes place. When Uzzah falls down, David was afraid. 
of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? The place that they were bringing the ark from in order to go to Jerusalem uh, is described in the book of 1 Samuel as the hill country. Uh, the, the actual geographical location actually is not far from the place that Elizabeth and Zechariah were dwelling in the hill country that we read about in Luke. It says that Mary went to visit Elizabeth uh, and Zechariah at their house in the hill country. Well, geographically, this is the same area. It's the same hill country. So the ark is in the hill country. David says, how is it that the ark could come to me? What does Elizabeth say when Mary is arriving at her house and she sees her? How is it? Why is it granted to me that the mother of the Lord should come to me? This language is intentionally uh, conveyed this way by St. Luke. He's doing this on purpose. The ark of God, the true ark, is now in the hill country. And Elizabeth, in the words of David almost, says, How is it that the ark, the container of the presence of God, the mother of my Lord, could come to me? There are more parallels. It doesn't end there. When David finally goes to get the ark again, he's excited and dances before the ark. He leaps before the ark. And he's actually wearing, it says in uh, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, that David was wearing a linen ephod. This is the, the, the clothing of a priest. David was a king, not a priest, right? But when he was in this liturgical procession, dancing and leaping before the ark, he's wearing this priestly garb, this linen ephod. And we have in the story that St. Luke gives us, the little baby John in his mother's womb, of the house of Aaron, the son of a priest, leaping before the presence of God, leaping before the ark. But it doesn't end there. David asks, how can the ark come to me? Elizabeth asks, how can the ark come to me? The ark was in the hill country, Elizabeth was in the hill country. David is dressed as a priest. John the Baptist of priestly lineage also leaps like David. David shouts in the presence of the ark. Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry in the presence of the ark. This exclamation, uh, this word that uh, Luke uses for Elizabeth's exclamation, a loud cry, is a specific Greek word that's often used in uh, liturgical uh, context and references. So in writing this down, anyone reading this would read that word. Not a super common word, more of a liturgical word, and they would, they would understand what Elizabeth was doing when she was exclaiming with a loud cry. The ark, after Uzzah uh, touched it and fell down dead, David didn't want anything to do with it for a little while. So it stayed at the house of Obed-Edom for about three months. And David finally got the report that his house was being greatly blessed because of the presence of, of the ark. So David went back to retrieve it. Well, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months in the hill country. The house of Obed-Edom was blessed by the presence of the ark. And this word blessed is used three times in this story. She says, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Surely then her house also was blessed. And finally, after about three months, the ark returns home with David and ends up in Jerusalem where God's presence and glory is revealed in the temple. 
uh, well, what would be the temple? It was then the, the tabernacle. Likewise, after Mary returns home after about three months, she gives uh, birth to Christ, and they end up, after about 40 days, in Jerusalem, where the presence of God, again, is revealed in the temple. That's what we celebrate on uh, you know, 40 days after Christmas. So the parallels between Mary and the ark, just in this story, are very strong. Um, and it wasn't lost on anyone reading this story uh, in, in the Jewish context, because good Jews would have read this and, and known what this was about. But for generations, decades, centuries after uh, St. Luke's Gospel was written, the fathers and mothers of the church, also careful readers and prayers, realized what all this was about. And they, they went back to the Old Testament, and everything that they saw about the ark, they realized this is a foreshadowing of Mary. Mary is the ark. Listen to the words of St. Athanasius of Alexandria. O noble virgin, truly you are greater than any other greatness. For who is equal to you in greatness, O dwelling place of God the Word? To whom among all creatures shall I compare you, O virgin? You are greater than all of them, O ark of the covenant, clothed with purity instead of gold. You are the ark in which is found the golden vessel containing the true manna, that is, the flesh in which divinity resides. St. Gregory, the wonder worker, writing somewhere between 213 and 270 A.D. Let us chant the melody that has been taught to us by the inspired harp of David and say, Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy sanctuary. For the Holy Virgin is in truth an ark, wrought with gold both within and without that has been received that has received the whole treasury of the sanctuary there are multiple other church fathers and mothers that i could quote but i think the point is clear the church has always recognized in mary a type of the ark or rather the ark was a type of mary the real container and vessel of the presence of god but I want to make clear just one more father of the church, and more than that, an apostle, St. John, the beloved disciple, to whom Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary when he was on the cross, who also wrote the Revelation, or the Apocalypse, that is in our scriptures. And in that Apocalypse, in that Revelation, he writes, this comes from the end of, beginning in the end of chapter 11 in Revelation. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within his temple. Remember, this is John looking into heaven in his heavenly vision. The Ark, the temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within this temple. Now, this was strange for him to be writing because the Ark of the Covenant had been lost for several hundred years. The Jews didn't know where it was. Um, it might be in Ethiopia. So those Ethiopians down there think that they have it. Uh, I'd like to think that they do. But anyway, at the time, the Jews weren't sure. So for all, you know, all intents and purposes, it was lost. But John, looking into heaven in his vision, sees it. There it is in the temple. 
He says there were flashes of lightning and rumbling and peals of thunder and earthquakes and heavy hail. And a great sign, this is right, right here. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, St. John, in describing this vision, sees in the temple the Ark of the Covenant. In the same vision, immediately, he sees a portent, a sign in heaven, presumably in the same place he was just looking. And what does he see? A woman clothed with sun, golden, inside and out, in other words, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head, and she gives birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations. It's almost as if the vision of John seeing the ark in the temple in heaven transforms, and all of a sudden he realizes that he's seeing a woman clothed with the sun giving birth to Christ. Who is this woman? But Mary. Of course, St. John sees Mary. Now, I think it's also right to interpret this vision of John in Revelation, this woman that he sees as the church giving birth to not only Christ, but all those who are to follow after him. And the fathers and mothers of the church have also seen this. But what John is doing to describe the church, mystically represented by the woman, is using the image of the woman that he knew so well that gave birth to his God. He's using the image of Mary that he sees in the heavens as a way of describing the church. And it's no surprise that he would link the two. Of course, the mother of Christ is also the mother of all those who are adopted as brothers and sisters of Christ, right? If we share an adoption with Christ, if we become his siblings, his brothers, then his mother becomes our mother. And it's true enough to say that the church is our mother, but it's also true enough to say that Mary is our mother in so much that she gives birth to Christ our God, whom we join as his brothers by adoption. Now, I hope it's clear that the church is always recognized in Mary, a container and vessel of God, that she's also a symbol of the church, and that she has been given a lot of uh, accord and reverence and dignity, um, as, as uh, St. Athanasius says, what, what other creature can I compare you to? You're the highest one. Now, that's, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of honor, but he's not saying that she's divine, is he? He says she's a creature. She's just the highest of the creatures. So there's a balance. She has the most dignity of any creature, and yet she is as far removed from the uncreatedness of God as anything else is. She, like us, is a creature, but she's been sanctified by the presence of God. I think that's, that's all clear. But what does it mean for us? What does all this have to do with our lives as Christians today? Why does it matter that Mary is the true ark? It matters because 
What the ark in the Old Testament meant to the people of Israel is that God, who has the earth as his footstool and the heavens as his throne, who is above all other gods, who is so far beyond in terms of power and glory, any other created reality, this God dwells with his people physically. His presence was there in the ark for them. Poor Uzzah didn't realize what that meant, and he paid for it. In 1 Samuel, about 70 people paid for it because they didn't uh, trust the reality of the presence of God in the ark. The Philistines paid for it because they didn't know what they had. The reality of God's presence physically dwelling with the ark was a serious thing, and God wanted to drill it into the heads of his people that, yes, although I am above everything, my goodness reaches all the way to you such that my actual presence is with you. Now, this was still only a presence contained in an ark and behind a veil in a temple, and people could approximate gaining access to the presence of God. There were different levels of the temple. There was the, the portico and then the inner level and, and the middle levels. But with God incarnate, his presence is not only in one place in the world, but has entered into all of human nature. When God puts on flesh, he, in a sense, makes his presence known to all flesh. That's how he redeems us. He heals our flesh so that we can participate in his healed human divine life. And the reason Mary is important to the story is because it is from her flesh that God takes his flesh. It was her faithfulness and purity and goodness and willingness to let God indwell her that was the beginning of our salvation. The incarnation of God saves us, and the incarnation began in the womb of the Virgin Mary. That's why we still look to her and see what we can become, fully indwelt by God, fully transformed human beings, clothed with the sun, the moon at our feet. This is the height, this is the purpose of the incarnation, to raise humanity to the heights with which we recognize Mary has attained. It's awe-inspiring. Mary is not the great exception. She is the great example. We revere Mary because we believe God wants the same thing for us. He wants to indwell us, to transform us, and to glorify us with him. He wants us to share his glory. That's where Mary gets hers. It isn't her own. It doesn't belong to her. All of her glory is Christ's glory. She will ever be a creature, but she, as the highest of all creatures draws us further and further after her into the presence of God, our Savior. That is why Mary is significant in our lives as Christians, because she is our example of how to say, Behold, the servant of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your will. 
I hope Mary's example continues to inspire us, to lead us on into closer and closer conformity with her son, because she stands forever for us as an intercessor in the presence of her son in heaven. That's why at the end of our morning and evening offices, we sing an anthem to her, specifically asking that she intercede for us, because as the mother of the king, that makes her the queen mother, and that gives her the ear of the king and a special place as an intercessor. I pray that the Lord will inspire us to follow the example of his blessed mother, the Virgin Mary, and that, as always, when we see her, primarily, she points us on to her son. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.